morning. It's good to be with you all and to share some thoughts from God's Word this morning. I hope you will follow along and open up your Bibles as we proceed, proceed to do those, those things this morning. Hang on just a little bit there. Brother Andy, uh, we were in a study at his house not long ago. We were talking about uh, a passage with this title, and uh, I told him I had a lesson on it, and he says, well, well, I like to hear that sometimes. So uh, we knew he wasn't going to be here today, but we knew it would be recorded. So uh, this is his version of my lesson about about this topic uh, that he said he was was interested in. But uh, we're glad for the presence of each and every one that is out with us today. Uh, Thankful for visitors that we have. invite you to come back at every opportunity that you might have. Uh, just to let you guys also know, next uh, Lord's Day, next Sunday, we are starting our meeting um, with Brother Barry Kircherville, and um, Sunday we will be here at the building, and we invite you to come back and be part of that, those efforts uh, next week as well. Uh, about a, it's going to have a series about enjoying our Bible, and to, it'll be kind of a little different kind of a series where we're have, going to have a workshop uh, some, some of the evenings that uh, uh, we're actually uh, going to do some um, hands-on things that he's going to uh, have material that we've, we've prepared and printed and to help you guys to enjoy your Bible a little bit better. So Monday and Tuesday we will be in the campus of YSU and then Wednesday through Friday we'll be back here at the, back here at the building. So I invite you to uh, come back and be with us at those times uh, if you possibly can as well. Uh, as was read in your hearing in Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1 and uh, verses 13 and following there, we have written there the testimony that uh, Brother Brent read for you, talking about John the Baptist and being coming into this world. And it talked there about how that he was going to be born of Elizabeth and uh, Zacharias and how that he was going to, uh, he says, you will call his name John, he will have joy and gladness, many will rejoice at his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord, it says, and he shall be of a certain kind of individual. He drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. He shall turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go about, he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. That means speaking go, him being Jesus Christ himself. He will go before Christ in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. We think about that, that statement right there. We think about being prepared to meet God, prepared to meet the Lord. We knew that John was preparing the way for the coming of Jesus. He was the one that came to do that. He was the forerunner of Christ. He said he was not the Christ, but that he could not loose the sandals and so forth. The idea was that he, he, was not, he was not to be Jesus. He was not to be the Christ. But he was trying to prepare the people's hearts for the coming of Jesus. He prepared them by teaching a doctrine of repentance, trying to get people to understand uh, what the Lord was going to, who the Lord was going to be, what the Lord was going to do. He was going to have, he was going to bring new teaching. Uh, to people that were steeped in um, the old law and have got 
kind of deviated their, in their pathway of the old law. And he was going to say, you've heard it said in the Old Testament, but now I'm going to tell you some things that you need to understand and you need to know. Because he was the Christ, the Son of God. And he issued in a new law, in a new kingdom. And he taught about new things and parables and things like that, and the nature of the, how that kingdom was going to be. And he tried to prepare the people that way. When we think about um, this idea here of John being called, that he would come forth in the spirit and power um, of Elijah, there is a comparison here between Elijah and John the Baptist. And I see now probably my slides might be a little bit messed up here. Hopefully we can be able to read them. <laughs> they were looking a little different at home, but uh, hopefully they'll be all right. But when we see the, dif the difference between um, Elijah and John the Baptist, there's some stark similarities about how the scriptures talk about Elijah and John the Baptist. In fact, you'll notice that there's some very stark resemblances and, and comparison between between the two. Uh, Elijah was one that was said to be a hairy man, and he wore a leather belt. It's mentioned of that way in 2 Kings uh, chapter 1 and verse 8, uh, that he's pictured that way. Um, he's also, Elijah was a wilderness man. Uh, we understand that he had sought refuge in the wilderness in running from Jezebel and Ahab uh, in the day that he was prophesying in Israel. And we remember Jezebel wanted him killed. Uh, she ordered that he'd be hunted down and he'd be found and, and tried to kill him uh, because he was a prophet of God that was prophesying things against Israel that King Ahab didn't like and they didn't appreciate. And so they had become so sinful and idolatrous that they wanted, they wanted the prophet of God killed. He was a wilderness man, hid in a cave. And he hid in the cave, and remember the scriptures that talk about to us in the Old Testament where uh, he was even fed by the ravens. God provided for him. He was running for his life. He wasn't allowed to go back in, in, the, in the towns and cities. He was, he was afraid that he would be caught. Uh, so God provided for him. He, ravens brought him food, and he was fed. He was provided for, even in, in a terrible situation, even in the, in the, in the vast wilderness. Uh, God, God provided for him. He also reminded him that he wasn't alone. Uh, even though he might have felt alone at the time, God says there are other people that have not bowed the knee to the Baals, the prophets of Baal. And he says, you need to realize that. And he says, but, uh, but he was keeping him alive uh, for the purpose of doing his work as a prophet. Uh, he also preached a uh, doctrine of repentance. In 1 Kings chapter 18, it talked about um, some of the things that he had stood in, in, a, in opposition uh, to King Ahab and, and to Jezebel at the time. And we remember what one thing that we have that was recorded for us of how that he was trying to get Ahab to realize the, their idolatrous ways and their sinful practices that were being involved in at the time. And remember that he prayed to God that it would not rain. And God granted him that prayer, that it, the, the answer to that prayer, that it would not rain. It did not rain for a span of three years. I don't know if you know anything about that or think about, have thought about that, but if we, hadn't have, we wouldn't have rain for three years, it would devastate our country. We could not exist the same way we always have. Just think about that. It would devastate it. He was trying to get Ahab to realize that here I've done this thing. God has, my God, has withheld his rain, and I'm going to devastate your land if, unless you repent. And he was hard and would not. 
But then after a period of time, he prayed to God again, and it, he, sent, he sent the rain, the rain appeared. Because he saw that his God was behind everything uh, that there was. He was the one that was the sovereign over this world. He was the ruler of this world. He was in control of all things. And it should make you stop and think about that. Um, he was also a uh, rough individual. Not an intellectual of his day and time. Uh, as we see him about being a hairy man, wore a leather belt, we would see he was kind of like a wilderness-looking guy, I guess, in his day and time. All right? He was not um, one of the notary dignitaries of the day, I guess you would say. He was always in trouble with the people of the, that were in power at the time, uh, the leading leaders of the dignitaries. Uh, Ahab <laughs> called him the troubler of Israel. Remember when he talked about that? And so in 1 Kings uh, chapter 19, it talks about uh, how he was running for his life and in trouble and always stirring up things. Ahab says, you're the troubler of Israel. And Elijah says, no, I'm not the troubler of Israel. He says, you are. Because you have led this people away into sin and idolatry and everything else that was, they, were, they were doing. And so here we come, in comparison with John the Baptist now in the New Testament, we see that he was also, uh, in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 4, he talks about he was clothed in camel's hair and wore a leather belt. Kind of very similar uh, to the way Elijah was presented. He also preached in the wilderness of Judea. Uh, in the book of Matthew, that's revealed to us. The people came out to the wilderness of Judea by the Jordan where he was actually baptizing people. And he was preaching a message of repentance again in Luke chapter 3. Here we have John was also preaching a, a message of repentance, trying to get the people to change their ways in preparation back to the coming of the Lord here very shortly. He was the forerunner of him to prepare the way, to make his path straight, it says. Uh, is what the scriptures tell us. And so people were coming out to him in the wilderness. And do you remember what kind of people were coming out to him? It wasn't the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees that were coming out to listen to him, but it was just the common people that were coming out, and they were being baptized by him. And he, they were listening to his message of repentance, and he was telling them to get their life in, in order because the coming of the Messiah was, was very near. It was at hand, and they were listening to him. And people, the Jews, you know, Higher Jews heard about these things, and, you know, uh, they weren't, they would, if they came out, they weren't coming out to see and to hear John and really hear, listen to his message. They were just coming out to see what was going on uh, and kind of, kind of curious. But he also was a rough-looking individual, clothed in Campbell's hair, wore a leather's belt, uh, ate locusts and wild honey. You know, what kind of people do that? People that are, live off the land and are able to, they're kind of a wilderness kind of guy. Uh, he was not, a, not an intellectual. He wasn't, you know, didn't have no fancy degrees or anything uh, either. He was in trouble with the dignitaries also in Matthew chapter 4. Um, we find out, you know, the, uh, the Jews, of course, did not like what he was doing, did not like the message he was preaching. We even found out, we find out, reminded later about what happens to John ultimately when he loses his life and he's beheaded uh, because he says he told Herod that he didn't have a right to the woman he was married to. Uh, so we understand John was in trouble with the leadership of the day as well. And they all both had an important mission of what they were trying to do. They were, they were trying to turn the intellectuals, uh, the intellectuals of their day were turning people away from the Almighty God is what was happening. Here we have the chief priests, the elders of the people, people that were educated in the law, that knew the law the best, 
yet they were turning people away from the Almighty God. John came to try to prepare people for the coming of the Lord himself. He said, I want to set things right. I want to set things straight. I want you to understand what you really need to be focused on and how you need to have a heart that is bent on repentance and change and to turn your hearts to the, to the, to the living God. They both were men of a character of purity and holy, they were possess- and they possessed God's approval in what they did. Elijah, and, as a prophet in the Old Testament, John the Baptist preparing uh, the way for the coming of the Lord. So I want to remark about a few things tonight, when we, this morning, when we think about uh, both Elijah and John the Baptist and their work. The first thing that they both possessed was that they possessed the truth of God. In uh, Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, and verse 24 beginning. He says, when the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. He said, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? He said, a reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously appareled and live in luxury are in king's courts. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Jesus says, yes, and I say to you, and more than a prophet. He is, this is he of whom... Uh, it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you, among the, these born of um, women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God, he said, is greater than he. So he's, you know, pointing out, he said, you know, what did you go out of the wilderness to see? And it wasn't that they really wanted to learn from John, right? Uh, he says, no, he says, that's not, that's not what they were what, going out there to see. He said, were you going out to see a reed shaken by the wind? Because he wasn't one to be taken lightly. And he was telling people the way it was and not afraid to do so. Right? He wasn't a, in fine garments and so forth. And so they weren't going out to be oppressed by him and the way he looked, surely. But he says, when you go out, he says, you're going to understand that he's a prophet. Jesus says he's, he's, he's definitely a prophet in doing my work. He's preparing the way before me. And he said, there's no greater prophet of your generation than to listen to what John has to say. So, he mentioned about that. Also in verses 29 um, and 30, he says, even the tax collectors justified God having been baptized with the baptism of John. He said, all the people heard him. Even some of the tax collectors. People that you might think, you know, that they were not the elite religious of the day. They were like, tax collectors are being baptized by him? They, 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 were, they were being baptized. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the word of God, the will of God, for themselves, not having been baptized, he says, by them. They were too good to listen, to imbibe the message that he taught, and to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. And so we need to make, our, make sure ourselves we are not too good, that when we see the truth of God revealed, that we are not afraid to act upon it, that we have enough faith to be able to do that. Uh, in First Kings chapter 18, First uh, Kings chapter 18, we think about Elijah now in the Old Testament, going back, going back to the Old Testament now, um, and talking about Elijah for a minute. And we're not going to have time to read everything here. I'm just kind of trying to point a, point a few things out to you. 
But in 1 Kings chapter 18, one of the things it talked about was it talked about Elijah's presence when he came um, before Ahab. And notice that we remember we were, we were talking about he was on the run, fearful for his life, and... Um, And when Elijah was, Obadiah said that, um, uh, who was um, in charge of his house, one of his servants was in charge of his house, uh, whose name was Obadiah, who feared God greatly, he told him that, he said, Ahab, he, says, he said, I saw Ahab. And so Obadiah was on his way, and suddenly Elijah met him. He recognized him. He fell on his face, verse 7. He said, is that you, my lord, Elijah? And he says, he says, it, it is. He says, go tell your master that Elijah is here. And so he went and told Ahab that Elijah is here. And, and it was interesting how it says that when he told them him that, uh, he became a little troubled about that. Um, and he was even, his servant was even worried that when he would go, and go tell him this message, that he would be killed uh, in verse 14. But Elijah said, as the Lord of the host lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. And he told him that he was going to come and to meet Elijah, and to meet Ahab. And so he did, and he says in verse 17, is that you, O troubler of Israel? He says, no, it isn't me that troubles Israel, but it is you that have done that, and have forsaken the commandments of the Lord to follow the Baals. He said, you did therefore, he said, you send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, these 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. He says, you bring them down to Mount Carmel, and he says, we're going to have a contest, and we will prove that who is God. And we remember the story, how he did that, how he prepared the altar and everything was in it, and he prayed to God and called for fire. Fire came down upon the altar, it consumed it, and everything there in it, all the water that was around it, licked it up, completely disintegrated what was there. But he gave the prophets of Baal the first chance to be able to call on your gods to do that. He said, if your gods would do that, then they would be God, right? They would have power to do that. But, of course, we realized they, they were unable to do so. But the God of heaven, the almighty God, Jehovah, was able to respond and to do that and to act upon a way so everybody would know who is God, who is the almighty. All right? It was the idea that he said, Elijah's here. The idea that his presence meant something. And I, and I want to say to you today that as we go about our lives from day to day, hopefully our presence means something in the midst of this perverse and crooked generation. You know? We are the light to shine forth to mean something, that we stand for what is truth. We stand for what is right. And the people that know that they can ask us and question us of those things that, live, that, that we believe, and that we can, we can tell them those things and share them those things with them. Um, in Mark chapter 6, uh, Mark chapter 6. In verses 17 through 19 there, he says, Herod himself laid a hold of John, speaking of John the Baptist there, and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias and his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her, because John had said to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. But we realize that it, 
it did happen there in verse 21. It says, when an opportune day came for Herod on his birthday, he gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers, and the chief men of Galilee. When Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and sat with those with, uh, with him, and the, uh, the king said to the daughter, he says, ask me whatever you want and I will give it to you. And he swore to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. And so she went out and said to her mother, what, you, what, you, what shall I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came with haste to the king and asked, I want you to give me that at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was exceedingly sorry, yet because of the oath and because of those who sat with him, he felt compelled he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went out and beheaded him in prison. So here we have John the Baptist also possessed the truth of God. Also, not afraid to say and point out to the dignitaries of the day, of Herod himself even, who had the, as you see, uh, command of life or death over somebody. But he spoke the truth of God. Knowing that he would serve a God that would, even if he died in this world, he would still be with God in eternity. He would still be worth whatever aggravation there was, whatever punishment physically could happen to somebody here in this life, to speak the truth of God no matter what. Do we have a faith that will be like that? We have people of the first century doing the same kind of things. They went to death over whether bowed being for Caesar or not. Do we have the kind of faith and do we possess the truth of God enough to even stand up for it if, even if it means our death? In Luke chapter 1, verse 17, it talked about, back to what we were just talking about earlier, about John the Baptist, how that he said he would turn the disobedient toward the wisdom of the just. Trying to turn people away from their sins to repent, to change, toward the wisdom of the just. The wisdom of us who have been justified, who know what is right. And he's trying to turn people to, make, to change their minds, to change their hearts to what the truth of God really is. And when people's hearts are changed to the truth of God, then they begin to look into God's Word and say, you know, I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to change this in my life. And they're willing to do that because they realize and respect the Word of God enough to do that. That's the difference between people that came out to see John and the people that didn't come out to hear John's message. They, they changed. They were willing to be baptized by him. They were willing to have a repentant heart to look for the coming of the Lord. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, as we go about our lives today, we need to remember that truth is truth. And we ought to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul says. We ought not to be ashamed of it. We don't need to give people a watered-down verse. We need to give them exactly what the truth of God is. Be straight up with them. He said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is the power of God to save a person, to save an individual in this life. There is nothing else that we can do that. It's, it's not my words that will do that. It is the gospel's message that will do that itself. You can open up the scriptures. You can read it with somebody, and that's why let it tell them what they need to do. It will convict them and they, of, the, of the truth of God, whether they will accept it or reject it. That is up to them. 
But if we present it to them, let God's Word speak to them. It will do the same thing every time for, on an honest heart. We'll do it every time. And so sometimes we've maybe had occasions to do that. We read the Scriptures to somebody. And, we, and I, I, Someone's been sitting there. They have no preconceived notions or ideas about it. They just read the Scriptures and they're like, well, I've never realized it said that before. Or does it really mean what I think it means? And so they reiterate to me, you know, what they thought it meant. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what it's telling you. Amazing how people can do that and they can get that for the first time if they have no preconceived ideas or false teachings to overcome uh, about things maybe they've presented in the past. I was sitting down at a study one time with folks across the table and they were like, you know, that means my mom and dad's wrong. And they could see that for themselves. I didn't have to tell them that. Let the truth of God affect you the way it needs to. second point I want to make this morning is that it all, both individuals possess the conviction uh, toward repentance, toward a doctrine of repentance. Both John the Baptist, both Elijah did that. In First um, Kings chapter 18, going back to First Kings chapter 18, And verse 21 there, when it talks about Elijah came to the people and says, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, not a word, it says. They needed to be convicted of who was God. Well, we had this contest, and we, we realized that it showed who was God at the end of that. But the idea is that, you know, how long will you falter between two opinions? If you, you ought to follow God. He's the one that you need to follow. And so sometimes we need to possess conviction of how to turn people's hearts to the Almighty God. They need, they need to do something to change. They need to repent, to realize who God is. There are people in this life that have no understanding of who God is. Some do not even care of praising God. I know we all are here this morning. We've come here for a purpose and a reason. Why have, we, why have you come here this morning? It's to worship, uh, to pay homage to our Almighty God, to think about what He has done through sending His Son to die for us. That's why, that's why we're here. That's why we've come. Because we fear Him. And because we want to have our lives right before when we meet Him. Um... In verse 40 of uh, the same chapter, Elijah said to, the, said to him, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon, and he executed them there. <laughs> you see, what did he do? He says, We're not going to allow these things to exist anymore. I'm going to destroy them. And how many times through the Old Testament do we see good kings raise up and rise up, and they said, We're going to wipe these things out again. And they would wipe them out, and we realize what happens. You know, not too many years, a bad, bad king comes to rule in power again, and he brings them all back, all these idols throughout the land. But the idea of repentance is getting rid of things, getting rid of the things in our life that we need to get rid of, and having a change of heart and a change of direction. That's what we need to be convicted to do. Um, in Luke chapter 3, Luke chapter 3, And 
beginning in verse 2. He talked about while Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests, um, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. He went out in all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the Isaiah, the prophet saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain shall be brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And so, you know, he went out and said to the multitudes, in verse 7, he came to, the, to those that came to be baptized by him. He said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, he says, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And so the people asked him, he said, saying, what shall, we, what shall we do then? The idea here is you see all these people coming out, and he, he tells them, some of them as, he, as the Jews came out, he said, you brood of vipers. Was he kind of real gentle there when he said that? I don't picture it being that way. <laughs> Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He said, you need to bear fruits worthy of repentance. You think that sat well with them? That they needed a change, that they needed to bear fruits worthy of repentance? They need to be baptized for the remission of sins that they had done? And John was trying to point out to them, he says, God is able to raise up followers to himself by people that are truly interested in doing what is right and to have their hearts right with him. He said, think about what he has done with his people in the Old Testament. He raised up a people that were nobody and made them a people, made them a nation. He said, I could lay an axe to the tree right now, and eventually that was going to be done because the Jews of the Old Testament were not going to be the people of God moving forward eventually in the new law. It wasn't just for them, it was going to be for all people, Gentile, Jew and Gentile alike. And so he was saying that, just because you're Jews doesn't mean you're automatically always going to be God's people. But you're going to be saved. You need to repent. You need to have acts worthy of repentance, he says. Because God's going to raise up followers for him that will truly have a heart bent on, doing, on following him. Um, in Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. And in verse 3, he says, But I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. That's Jesus' words talking there. He said, We have to, re we must repent. We must be convicted of our sins. We must realize that Jesus died for our sins and that we need them taken care of. Unless we repent, we will all likewise perish. And again in verse 5, he said, In case you didn't get to the first time, Jesus reiterates the same words again in verse 5. We need to be convicted to repent when we need to. And in Second Timothy chapter two, chapter four, and verse two. Paul there tells us to preach the word. He said, "Be instant in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine." What, what is what's Paul's point there? He said, "When we preach the word, we need to do so with the idea that people ought to need to repent. That people need to change. 
whether it's convenient or whether it's not convenient. We see John the Baptist preaching when it was very inconvenient to tell Herod that he shouldn't have had the wife that he had. How convenient was that? Not very, because it got him killed. How convenient was it for Elijah to stand up in the midst of all the idolatry in the land and have this contest that he did? He did that to prove that God was God. These people all need to change. They need to have a, a changed heart. They had it all wrong. And so we also, as Paul is saying in 2 Timothy chapter 4 here, he said we need to preach it whether it's in season or out of season, whether it's convenient or whether it's not so convenient. It's real convenient for us to talk about the truth of God right here amongst our assembly with each other today, isn't it? You know why? Because we are all like-minded. We have the same interests, most of us. We have the same beliefs, right? But when I go to work, that changes. Now I am all alone. And so someone asks me about the truth of God. What do I tell them? Do I tell them what they need to hear? Hopefully, because I'm the only one that will be able to explain that to them, that is in their midst. We need to do it whether it's in season or out of season. Convenient or not so convenient. Last point we want to make this morning is that both John the Baptist and Elijah also possessed a preparation for the future in their message. And so we think about that uh, in Malachi chapter 4. It talks about the coming of John. Malachi chapter 4 and verses uh, 5 and following there. It says, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. You see what he's talking about? He said, Elijah's going to come. Did he mean the Elijah of the Old Testament is going to come back? No, that's not what he was talking about. He was talking about John the Baptist coming in the spirit and power of Elijah, right? That he comes back. John comes to the world before the great and dreadful day of the Lord to turn the hearts of the fathers uh, to the children and the hearts of the children of their fathers. What did he mean by that? There would be people of their sons and daughters that would accept and obey the Lord for who he was. Their parents might not, but they would. Things would be backwards. Things would be all different. They were trying to like, you ought to listen. This is the Lord. The Messiah is here. He's coming. He's at hand. But there were some that would not listen. They would not understand the message. Lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Is it imperative that they understand who Jesus was and accept him for who he was? Yes, it is. Jesus says, unless the people, unless those people understand who I am, and they accept me for who I am, they will perish, they will be lost in their sins. In Luke chapter 1, verse 17, back to that same passage again, he said we would make a people prepared, ready a people prepared for the Lord. That is our job kind of today, isn't it? As we talk to people, as we reach people we come in contact with, to make people prepared for the, way, for, for the Lord. To show them and share the gospel with them, if they've never heard it. That is our job. And in Colossians chapter 1, Uh, Colossians chapter 1, 
and a verse 28 and following there. He says, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to the workings which works in me mightily, Paul says. Paul says, here's the reason we preach. To warn every person, to warn every man, and teach every man in all wisdom, that we might present every man perfect in Christ. So when Christ comes again, and he said, will he find...